0: The prime obligation of every human being is to speak out against injustice. We are our brother's keeper.
1: You're listening to The Keeper, brought to you by the Lantos Foundation for Human Rights and Justice. I'm Katrina Lantos-Sweat.
0: This season of The Keeper is made possible with the generous support of Ambassador April H. Foley. This episode is supported by John and Patricia Broderick and by Shaheen and Gordon Law Firm. Welcome to this, the final episode of our
1: seven-part Rule of Law season. Thank you for joining us. Over the course of the last several weeks, we've taken a deep look at the Rule of Law, We've spoken to some of the world's foremost legal minds to understand what it means.
0: A government of laws and not men, or obviously in this day of men and women.
2: If I had to use a shorthand for it, I would probably say that for me the rule of law would mean the pursuit of justice.
1: We've also talked with courageous democracy activists and journalists to understand what happens when governments choose to trample the rule of law.
2: In the 21st century, a European country is operating a professional squad of assassins in the employment of the state that is tasked with physically eliminating opponents of the government. This is the reality of Russia under Vladimir Putin. Kagame's power is absolute in Rwanda. and The fact is that in Rwanda, because there's no free press, there's no way to challenge the government, whatever Kagame says is the truth.
1: From Russia to Rwanda and beyond, we've uncovered just how much is at stake when it comes to the rule of law. We've even taken a look at the state of the rule of law right here in America.
0: Well, it needs work.
1: In this episode, we're going to return to that particular subject, and we're going to hear from a man who has been a tireless advocate for applying the rule of law equally and fairly in the United States, regardless of race or economic status, as well as for dealing more honestly and openly with this country's history of inequality.
2: Sometimes you have to stand even when other people say sit down. You have to speak even when others say be quiet. I was taught that by extraordinary people like Rosa Parks.
1: In 2020, the Lantos Foundation awarded the Lantos Human Rights Prize to this man, Brian Stevenson, a lawyer who has spent more than three decades advocating on behalf of incarcerated people who have been wrongly convicted or unfairly sentenced. When we set out to identify our 2020 Lantos Prize laureate, we did so against the backdrop of what felt like a seismic shift in the United States.
0: Good evening, everyone. We're coming on the air with the latest on the wave of protests and unrest taking place at this hour across the country. Outrage at the death of George Floyd, an African-American man while in police custody in Minneapolis. In city after American city tonight, thousands of people have once again taken to the streets to express their anger, frustration, and solidarity. We're covering this story from coast to coast this evening. We wanna go first to California.
1: The tragic murder of George Floyd sparked an unprecedented movement for change and social justice in America. And it had personally reminded me of something that my late father, Congressman Tom Lantos, had often spoken about. He called it the hypocrisy gap. And by this he meant the enormous and shameful chasm between the noble principles of equality and dignity enunciated in our country's founding documents. And the bitterly disappointing reality of racism and other failures of America's culture and systems. The more we at the Lantos Foundation thought about this idea of the hypocrisy gap, the more we knew that 2020 was a year to look not only at human rights in distant countries, but at our commitment to human rights and justice right here in America. And to look honestly at where we fall short. Brian Stevenson is the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative and author of the best-selling book-turned-movie, Just Mercy. He is one of the most powerful and respected voices urging America to reckon honestly with its past and its present. But he has done more, much more, than call for an honest reckoning. He has also fought with every fiber of his being to create change and build a more just society. I wanted to know, where does America stand when it comes to delivering equal justice under the rule of law? Brian's unique take on this question is one that I believe we all need to hear.
2: The rule of law is an important concept, and as a lawyer, I'm deeply committed to it. But I do think it's important that we recognize that there is a difference between law and justice. Uh, throughout American history, we've had laws that codified inequality, that codified injustice. We created a racial caste system in this country. And states like Maryland in 1644 decreed by law that black people would be in servitude for life. They said that black babies would be born enslaved, and these laws gave rise to two and a half centuries of enslavement where black people were beaten and tortured and humiliated. And we created these narratives to justify these laws that were rooted in this false idea that black people aren't as good as white people, that black people are less human, less capable, less worthy. And so we need to understand the constraints, the limits of law when it is divorced from justice. So I grew up at a time, was born at a time when states across this country prohibited Uh, Black and white people from marrying, from being in romantic relationships. These were laws that sustained racial hierarchy and white supremacy. So while I believe in the rule of law, I believe that laws must be just. We cannot have law without justice. We cannot have freedom and equality without justice. And so our legal system has a lot of work to do. We have a criminal legal system that treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. Wealth, not culpability, shapes outcomes. We have the highest rate of incarceration in the world. Millions of people on probation and parole, millions of people who have criminal arrest histories which burden and stigmatize them. And so there's a great deal of work that we must do in this country to actually honor the ideas of equality and freedom. And I believe that that is as true today as it was Uh, 400 years ago when we were tolerating things like enslavement and the genocide of indigenous people. So our work remains. And while I am a lawyer and committed to the rule of law, I am committed more fundamentally uh, to justice.
1: Justice is, of course, a fundamental principle of this country. We all learn to recite the words with liberty and justice for all when we say the Pledge of Allegiance. But saying the words doesn't mean we always fully live up to this ideal. Sometimes, as Brian points out, our very laws codify injustice. This means we have work to do right here in America. Over the past year in particular, I have often reminded myself that the fight for human rights and justice must begin here at home. Indeed, if it does not, how can we hope to maintain our credibility as a human rights leader on the global stage? I put this question to Brian.
2: I do think the United States has a critical role to play across the globe in in affirming human rights, in affirming the importance of valuing basic human dignity. Uh, But we have undermined our ability to play that role by our own unwillingness to address the human rights issues that exist within this country. The State Department has a whole unit committed to transitional justice. We'll go to Eastern Europe, we'll go to places in Asia, we'll go to places in Africa and advocate for truth and reconciliation, for acknowledging histories of abuse. And yet we have not done that in our own country. And so I actually think that there is a, an urgent need for truth and justice in America. I think we have to commit ourselves to talking differently about our past. We're going to have to admit that we have a legacy of racial injustice. We're gonna have to confront the fact that we're a post-genocide society, that what we did to indigenous people when Europeans came to this continent was a genocide. We killed millions through famine and war and disease. We kept their words and land, but we made the people leave. And we haven't acknowledged that. We haven't confronted all the damage that was done by two and a half centuries of racialized slavery, the way in which we acculturated ourselves to racial hierarchy. Uh, to white supremacy. All of these things have to be acknowledged and confronted. The long history of racial terror and lynching, uh, the codified apartheid that we created, all of these things are things I believe we have to do a better job of acknowledging, reckoning with, and addressing. I live in Alabama, a state where the land is littered with the iconography of the Confederacy, we honor the perpetrators of uh, and defenders of slavery. We honor those who fought to preserve white supremacy, and I don't think we can reconcile that kind of honoring, that kind of false distortion of what is great uh, with a nation trying to lead the world on human rights issues.
1: We've talked about the importance of transitional justice with other guests this season, like Vladimir Karamursa, the Russian democracy activist and while there is obviously no moral equivalence between an authoritarian country like Russia and a true democracy like the United States, Brian Stevenson makes a powerful argument for why democracies also need to honestly confront the wrongs of our past in order to move toward a better, more just future. In fact, one might argue that being able To honestly reckon with our mistakes in order to learn how to do and be better is a hallmark of true democracy. We'll be right back with more from Brian Stevenson.
0: This season of The Keeper is made possible with the generous support of Ambassador April H. Foley, the United States Ambassador to Hungary from 2006 to 2009. Ambassador Foley currently chairs the Hungary Foundation— which fosters improved understanding between the US and Hungary through education and cultural exchange. She also serves on the board of the East Northfield Water Company, as well as the Center for Advanced Defense Studies, a DC-based nonprofit. This episode of The Keeper is proudly brought to you by Shaheen and Gordon, providing full service legal advocacy across New Hampshire and Maine since 1981. Shaheen and Gordon is dedicated to protecting people's rights and upholding the rule of law. This final episode of our Rule of Law season is also supported by John and Patricia Broderick.
1: Welcome back to our episode with the 2020 Lantos Prize laureate, Brian Stevenson. Compared to many of the countries that we've talked about on this season of The Keeper, America is a beacon of freedom and democracy. But too often, we still fall short of our own ideals. One area where Brian Stevenson feels we are woefully out of step with a commitment to human rights is in the country's continued use of the death penalty. America remains an outlier on the death penalty among Western democracies. A large number of states have abolished the death penalty, but capital punishment laws still remain on the books in 27 of the 50 states, more than half. And Stevenson thinks that reality makes it harder for the U.S. to be an effective global leader when it comes to human rights.
2: I think the United States has compromised its status and its standing as a human rights leader by its continued use of the death penalty. Uh, The death penalty simply cannot be reconciled with a society committed to basic human rights. I believe that the threshold question of capital punishment isn't whether people deserve to die for the crimes they've committed. The threshold question is, do we deserve to kill? And we have a system that is burdened with a long history of racial inequality. We have a system that is shaped by wealth. Uh, It's a political system. It's a system that makes a lot of mistakes. In the United States, for every nine people we've executed, We've identified one innocent person on death row who's been proved innocent. That shocking rate of error is simply unconscionable. We would never accept uh, one out of every nine planes that takes off crashing and killing everyone aboard. We would not fly if those were the data shaping our decision making. And yet we continue to have this high rate of error in the American death penalty. It's one of the many reasons why uh, the death penalty should be abolished And I don't think our ability to influence human rights across the globe is going to be strengthened. I actually think it's compromised by our continuing use of the death penalty, which is why I believe that abolition is essential and urgent.
1: This year, in 2021, Virginia became the first southern state to abolish the death penalty, a major milestone and perhaps a hopeful sign. Brian Stevenson believes that the conviction of Derek Chauvin, the police officer who killed George Floyd, marks another milestone in the struggle for racial justice in America. But he is less confident
2: that it will mark a true turning point. This long history of police violence is something that continues to undermine healthy communities. And obviously, what we've seen in recent years With increased technology, the dramatization of police violence has become more immediate. And that was certainly true in 2020 when George Floyd was brutally killed by Derek Chauvin. I think the officer's conviction uh, is important. It signals something significant in our culture and our system, but it took an enormous amount of effort. It took millions of people protesting. It took elected officials speaking out. It took an infusion of resources, and it should not be that hard to do something as simple as holding someone accountable uh, when they kill another human being. So it is a milestone, but it is unclear to me that it signals anything transformative. That's going to depend on what happens next. That's going to ha- depend on what happens when you don't have the kind of attention surrounding uh, an, an incidence of police violence and misconduct. I'm very, very hopeful uh, that we will turn a corner, but I think it's still too early to know whether 2020 was like 1955, followed by a decade of activism that changed the law, that created a new chapter in American history, or whether 2020 was like 1968, followed by a decade of retreat, uh, of creating new regimes of punishment and control and bigotry, like uh, our mass incarceration era. I think that's what remains to be seen. And so the work remains, the question remains, what will happen in the in the in the aftermath of, of this tragic incident and the conviction of Derek Chauvin.
1: The work remains. This is a refrain that you hear from people across the country and around the world who are fighting the good fight, be it for racial equality, for freedom of belief and conscience, for democracy, or simply for the chance to make their voices heard without fear of retribution. Brian Stevenson is fighting for justice, and while he is a powerful advocate for justice, he's also a powerful advocate for something a little less expected, mercy.
2: I don't believe there can be justice without mercy. Uh, We need to understand that compassion, that insight, understanding is essential to how we think about what justice requires. We've lived through this era in the United States where we have committed ourselves to more police and more prisons and more punishment. And it's almost as if we've been governed by this false idea that we can put crimes in prison. And that seems to be shaping the way we think about sentences and what's appropriate punishment And the tragic reality is that we cannot put crimes in prison. We put people in prison. And people are not crimes. I am persuaded that each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. I think if someone tells a lie, they're not just a liar. That if someone takes something, they're not just a thief. I think even if you kill someone, you're not just a killer. And justice requires that we understand the other things you are. And mercy requires that we put in context The worst thing you've done with the other attributes you have. And so, yes, there is this need for mercy, this need for compassion. I actually think the health of a society, the health of a community, is reflected in its openness, its willingness to engage in compassion, to engage in forgiveness, to engage in mercy, to engage in understanding toward those who suffer, who struggle. The tragedy of mental illness, the burden and the weight of our history of inequality, the consequences of addiction and dependency uh, untreated trauma have all created real issues in our society that have to be addressed through the lens of mercy and compassion uh, that are components essential components and what constitutes justice
1: the fight for equal justice is not an easy one it is a long uphill climb And like many human rights heroes before him, Brian Stevenson's path has been filled with stumbling blocks and setbacks. I wanted to know, where does he get the strength to carry on?
2: You know, I think my strength comes from the history that holds me up. I live in Montgomery, Alabama. I stand on the shoulders of people who did so much more with so much less. I'm the great-grandchild of people who were enslaved. And if my foreparents could overcome the brutality and humiliation of slavery, if my grandparents could survive the trauma of terrorism and lynching, if my parents could endure the injuries created by segregation and Jim Crow laws, then I believe that I have the capacity to do what must be done to create a more just society. But it is the strength of the past that lifts me up, that holds me up. I'm grateful to those people who've done so much with so much less. And and I think that's where we sometimes underestimate what we can do as individuals, as communities, uh, as a nation. We have the power to create a just society. I think if we allow ourselves to be governed, not just by the ideas in our mind, but the conviction in our heart, uh, we can create something better, something that feels more like freedom, more like equality, more like justice. And that's what animates me. That's what encourages me. That's what sustains me. And why I'm so excited to do the work I do. I feel privileged to do what I do. And I will continue to do it as long as I can.
1: When I listen to these words, when I hear Brian Stevenson say, we can create something better, I'm reminded of the words of my own father, Tom Lantos. Once you learn that there is so much to do which in a modest little way, can leave this planet slightly better, less evil, less selfish, less monstrous, then you gain
0: enormous energy to keep moving on.
1: And keep moving on we will, with people like our 2020 Lantos Prize Laureate, Brian Stevenson to inspire us, and with my father's example to carry us forward. Throughout this rule of law season, I have been humbled and inspired to speak with some of the bravest individuals I've ever known, people who have given their lives over to fighting for human rights and the rule of law, people who have come very close to losing their lives in the pursuit of justice or the fight for freedom and democracy. I want to thank you for joining us on the journey, and I hope you've been as inspired as I have. If you haven't heard the earlier episodes, I strongly urge you to go back and have a listen. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review or share the podcast with your friends. This may be the final episode of our Rule of Law season, but don't worry, we'll be back with a new season before too long. Special thanks to our generous supporters who made this season possible. Thank you to my Lantos Foundation colleagues for their hard work and dedication. And most of all, thank you for listening to The Keeper. Until next season, I'm Katrina lanto sweat
0: This season of The Keeper was made possible with the generous support of Ambassador April H. Foley, the United States Ambassador to Hungary from 2006 to 2009.